Now there's a <clears throat> question asked by the famous Capital One credit card advert. What is in your wallet? That's the question. You may remember that advert. What is in your wallet? That's what the advert asks. And the point of the advert is to remind us that our worth in life comes down to how much we have. How much money we have in our wallet, right? Or to be more precise, it comes down to what credit card you are carrying, right? Uh, and so the advert says, choose the Capital One credit card, right? Now, Capital One knows that you know that that's not true, right? They know that life is not about how much money you have. They know that. And they know you know that, right? But they are hoping that by making such a wild claim, right, you laugh about it and uh, you remember the advert. And of course, to a degree, they are right. Certainly, I remember the advert. You might not remember the advert. And uh, when you think about it, it's a clever piece of marketing, isn't it? That advert, what is in your wallet? And the reason it works is because everyone knows that most of our needs in life are not financial. In fact, our deepest and fundamental needs in life are spiritual. So I was having a conversation, wonderful conversation at lunchtime today, outside there with three non-believers, talking about the gospel after the service. And we're making this very point, and they, they were able to accept that. that. Yeah, our needs in life are not fundamentally uh, physical. They are, in fact, fundamentally spiritual. And the reason for that is that God has created us in his own image, right? As God is spirit, we are also spiritual beings. And each of us, therefore, will live after the body decays. I said this morning that death is an extension of life. We will live on beyond the grave because we are spiritual beings. So the important question everyone should be asking is really not, not what is in my wallet, right? But rather, what is in my spiritual wallet? What am I depending on to meet all my needs in life? Not just my physical needs, but all of my needs. Not just in this world, but beyond the grave. Because you see, we need something in our spiritual wallet that lasts beyond death. When we die, the pound or bitcoins will not be of any use to us. So the question is, what will be in your wallet? <coughs> now the Bible tells us that the only currency that matters beyond the grave is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eternal future depends on whether his blood is in our wallet. Another way of putting it is that eternal life with God depends on whether we are truly trusting in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the weekend we have been looking at John's historical account of the death and resurrection of Jesus. On Good Friday, we looked at how Jesus died. And this morning, we looked at how he rose from death. Well, what I want to do this evening, really, is I want to bring these things together. I want us to learn what the Apostle Peter teaches us about the death and resurrection and indeed glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those three things. His death, his resurrection, and his glorification. 
So I'm just, this is a passage really to bring together the last sort of two messages that we've been looking at uh, from John's account. So look with me there, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, verse 17 to 21. I'll just read that again. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, <clears throat> conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Three things we learn here. First thing, the death of Christ is our redemption. Secondly, the resurrection of Christ is our redemption. And thirdly, the glorification of Christ is our redemption. Let us see that. Firstly, the death of Christ is our redemption. Peter starts uh, by reminding these uh, followers of Jesus in Asia Minor and us to reverently fear God because this world is not our home. Look at verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, and here comes the command, conduct yourselves with fear through, throughout the time of your exile. And just in case they forget, it reminds them of how they used to live before they came to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. We pause there. Peter is saying their life was futile, empty before they came to know Christ. It was a life of sin, totally opposed to the will of God. They were not just living in sin, they were slaves of sin. A couple of years ago, an American couple, David and Louise Turpin, in the USA, were charged with unlawfully imprisoning their 13 children in their home. You may remember that story. When the police went to the compound, they found some of the children shackled to their beds with chains and padlocks in a dark and foul-smelling room. The story shocked the world. It shocked the world. And it shocked us because we asked us, why can parents do that to their own children? It shocked us because there's something in us that hurts slavery. Now what Peter here is saying is that, as shocking as we find that, there's something even more shocking that should shock us. Which is that all human beings are born like the Turpin children. We are all born under the penalty and slavery of sin with no freedom whatsoever. Human beings think they are free, but the Bible says, no, you are born as a slave. Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. The Bible says, no, man is born in spiritual chains. And this is an important truth we need to understand Otherwise, we cannot truly appreciate the death and resurrection or glorification of Jesus. You see, when we think about sin, the Bible tells us this. Sin has done two things to all human beings. 
First, sin has inflicted a huge debt on us. A penalty, we might call it. A penalty against us before God. And the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. All human beings are born dead already. That is to say they are born physically, eternally, and spiritually dead. The physical death we experience is just a symptom of a deeper death. Sin is has wrapped us around. It has removed all life, all connection we have with God. Because God is the source of all life. So every human being, every human being you are looking at enters this world cut off from God, spiritually, eternally, and physically dead, of course. That's the penalty sin has done. It's because of that penalty, it has left us dead. The second thing sin has done is that it has placed us under its power. You see, sin is not just an activity, it is a slave master. The Lord Jesus himself said this in John 8, verse 34. And Jesus answered them, he says, Truly, truly, I said to you, everyone who commits sin is what? A slave of sin. Again, I remind you that the world thinks sin is freedom. The more we sin, the more free we are. Right? Or the proof that we are free is that we sin. Right? But the Bible says sin is, 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 is more like a giant snake. An anaconda or a python that has wrapped itself around us. It slowly entangles, slowly strangles us every day. And the more we struggle against sin, the more its strength grows, and the more we find ourselves entangled in it. And sin wrapping us around like this giant snake has, in effect, beaten all human beings into submission. You have no power to free yourself from sin. Your friends have no power to free themselves from sin. Your children have no power to free themselves from sin. Your spouse has no power to free him or herself from sin. We are all under its slavery. There's a penalty and there's a power. These two things hold us as captives. We need help beyond ourselves. We need help from outside. And the Apostle Peter here says, in effect, we need to be ransomed from sin. To be delivered from sin. Ransom means to be redeemed. He says, knowing that you were ransomed, we'll come to that in a moment. Because that's what God has done. In effect, that's what we need. We need to be ransomed. And the word ransom really means redeemed. It means to be purchased. To be delivered from the slavery of sin. We were hostages. We are hostages to sin. We need a payment to be made to free us from that hostage situation, from the slavery of sin, to be rescued from the prison of our sin. And the good news of the Bible, Peter is saying, is that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to free us from this slavery of sin by paying the ransom for our freedom. Look at verse 18 to 19. Knowing that you were ransomed, that's what God did, from the future ways inherited from your forefathers. How did God do it? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. How? But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You know, the followers of Jesus in Asia Minor, the original recipients of this letter, were familiar with the culture of redeeming slaves. 
The slaves were usually exchanged at the slave market by paying silver or gold. That's how they got their freedom. But be they saying to these followers in Asia Minor, Christ has come to the slave block of sin. Like the prophet Isaiah did with his prostitute wife, Goma. The Lord Jesus saw you there helpless and hopeless, in a hopeless state, and he bought you, he says. He has ransomed you. He has bought you not with the ethnic currency like gold or pound, but with the only currency traded in heaven, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is saying the only way you could get out of your spiritual prison is if someone perfect paid for your penalty by dying on that cross. Someone needed to be sacrificed for you. And that someone uh, could not simply be any human being. He had to be a perfect human being. Someone who had never sinned all his life. And the blood which needed to be shed for you to free you from that prison needed to be not just any human blood. It needed to be a blood with infinite value. Because that blood has to pay not just for your past sins, not just for the sin of one person, but for the sin of many. And not just for past sin, but present sins and future sins. In all their heinousness. And the wonderful news Peter is saying here. There is someone who fits the bell, says Peter. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man. He has died as your ransom. Christ Jesus, God dressed in our flesh, has given all of himself. Not part of himself, but as Paul says in Ephesians 5, all of himself, he gave all of himself up voluntarily so that you may now go free, says Peter. God has paid your, Christ has paid your ransom to God. Not to the devil, to God. Because you are really in God's prison. God couldn't have you. You were under the sentence of his wrath. And the sin was was a proof. But Christ came and paid the ransom. You see, on that cross, by human standards, Christ died a disgraceful, brutal death. The Jews would never allow anyone to die on... The Jews wouldn't... The Romans wouldn't allow anyone to die on on the cross. And for the Jews, it was a curse, as we said on Friday, for somebody to be nailed to the cross. But you see, to God, to God, Christ died in our place. To God, all who truly trust in this death on the cross, this death of Christ. This cross is our ransom. This cross is the key that frees us from the prison of sin. His death is our precious ransom to God. And what a wonderful thing the blood of the Lord Jesus is. Says Peter. And we would say today, it is not like the British pound that was in free fall with uh, Kwasi Kwarteng and Lee Strauss. Do you remember that? The horrors of November last year, I guess. October, November. No, no. The blood of Christ never changes its value for all eternity, it never loses its power. You know, the same blood that set that dying thief free from the cross, from sin, that first Good Friday, is the same blood flowing for us now from our Redeemer's veins. 
The blood of Jesus can buy the young and the old. The fentanyl addict and the Tito to the Russian and the Ukrainian. It can buy the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. The blood of Jesus can purchase anyone. All can be redeemed through the blood of Christ. And when our Redeemer purchases us, when he buys us, he takes full possession of us. You know, Jesus never buys us and leaves us on the counter. No. He takes you home to be his. He now owns us. And Jesus never buys us by credit. No, he buys us, as Shailene would say, by debit. He fully pays for us by his precious blood. Are you trusting Jesus this evening? Have you repented and come to true faith in Jesus? Well, let this truth that the death of Jesus is our redemption fill you with gratitude to God. Don't get tired of hearing it. Because, friend, where can you find a God so wonderful like the Lord Jesus Christ? Where? Where are you going to find a God who seeks out sinners? There's no God like our God. A God who knows our filth and ugliness, and yet he has reached out to us to pay a price to make us his very own. We shouldn't get tired of hearing the message of Easter. You know, you and I would never pay poor money even for an old car. Right? We look at the car and we say, no, that's a banger. Like, I'm not going to pay for that. But we are worse than a banger before God. We are. And yet Christ has ransomed us with his own life. He who is very God and very, very God has paid the price for us to make us his very own. He's paid the penalty for our sins. Here is our great redeemer, isn't it? Jesus, who answers to our inner longing to be loved and to be set free from sin. Here is our great redeemer who knows our dirtiness. He knows us in and out, and yet he owns our dirtiness. And he wipes our sin, past, present, future. There is the answer to assurance. There is the answer to witness. There is the answer to every question you've got this evening. Tell me what question you have which the blood of Jesus does not solve. He solves everything. Because he is Christ, our Redeemer, who knows all our secret sins, knows our hypocrisy, knows our doubts, knows thoughts we have which we can't even perhaps share with those closest to us. He knows all the secret addictions you've got, and yet has offered himself to make you his very own forever. He is our Redeemer, isn't he? Christ Jesus, the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Prince of Peace, the Great I Am. He is our Redeemer, Christ, who reaches out to us whilst we are falling in that bottomless pit of sin. And he, he rescued us out from that prison and he made us free. And you know what? Sometimes you and I forget. Truth. We forget we do not deserve Christ. We are prone to forget we deserve the deadly anaconda of sin. All human beings do. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? We forget just what Christ has saved us from. We forget that but for the death of Christ our Redeemer, 
who would be under the very wrath and judgment of God and heading to hell forever. For this evening, do not forget. This evening, look at Easter afresh. Praise God for the death of Jesus. The wrath of God has been satisfied. The grace of God now flows richly to you in Christ. So let that truth of the death of Jesus as our redemption encourage you, beloved, in, in whatever difficult situation you are facing this Easter weekend. So many uncertainties in the world. You have so many questions, so, so many worries. Well, bring them to Jesus. You're redeemed. Are you struggling with illness this evening? Is it loneliness? Is it a feeling of God being distant from you? Is your mind clouded with worry about the future? Well, if you're trusting in Jesus, be encouraged. You are now home with Christ, our Redeemer, who has purchased you with his precious blood. As I said, he has not left you on the counter. He has taken you home. He now owns you. And that means, beloved, Christ owns all your problems. You know, there's no one here who trusts in Jesus who can say, I have a problem. That's a lie. Because you should finish the sentence. I have a problem, but it belongs really to Jesus. It belongs really to Jesus. That's the correct statement. Because you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And that includes all your issues. Remember Ruth and Boaz? Well, your Redeemer is with you like Boaz was with Ruth. Christ has spread his cloak over you. And so in whatever situation, do not despair. So go to him today with your worries or concerns. Don't let your struggle with sin keep you from him. And I repeat that. Don't let your struggles with sin keep you from him. If you are waiting to do with all your sins before you approach Jesus and you haven't understood, any, we may as well do Easter then. I mean, we should be doing this all over all the time. But my point is, if you've understood anything, is that Christ is your Redeemer. And Christ is not the Redeemer of the sinless. The Lord Jesus came to die for sinners. Paul says, Christ came into this world to die for sinners. And I am the worst one. He came for you. He came to redeem you. In all your sin and make you his very own. You are his. So what's your excuse? No. Christ has dealt with it. When life looks or feels unbearable, remember what is in your spiritual wallet. And the answer is, it's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. The death of Christ is your redemption from the penalty and power of sin forever. That's the first truth Peter is teaching us here. We're going to move on very quickly now on the last two points. The second thing Peter really wants us to get is that the resurrection of Christ is also our redemption. The resurrection of Christ is our redemption. We don't think of the resurrection of Christ as a redemption, really, but in Peter's theology it is, because our redemption is not just by death or the blood of Christ. It is also effected through the resurrection. Look how Peter goes in verse 20 to 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, 
so that your faith and hope are in God. What is Peter saying? What Peter is saying to these believers and us is this. God the Father in eternity past sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world as a human being. You see, Christ came on a mission to redeem us from sin and give us a new life of faith and hope in God through Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus, says Peter, is not some accident of history. It is all part of the great appointment that God fixed even before the world began. Christ came on a death mission. We've dealt with that. To die for sinners. But it was also a resurrection mission. God raised the Lord Jesus from death to give us new life. If you're thinking of redemption, think of it, if you're thinking of a hostage situation, Christ not only entered the house where you were trapped, okay, that's his death, right? But he made his way out of the house, right? The resurrection of Christ is important because it proves that the redemptive death of Jesus has fully paid the price for sin. Jesus has rescued us from sin. How do we know? Because Jesus rose from death. Remember what I said earlier. There are two problems of sin that we've got. Sin has inflicted two problems on us. First, it has inflicted a penalty. And also it has inflicted, it has put us under the power, under its power. The penalty of sin is death. Jesus paid that on the cross. Job done. Sorting out the power of sin is a little more complicated. Because sin has infected us and physically kills us. That's why we die, because, we, because sin entered the world. So to conquer the power of sin, it isn't simply dying on the cross. To conquer the power of sin, Christ, our Redeemer, needs to live a perfect life without sin and then die physically to meet death in combat. Right? And then God must raise him from death. And uniting us with him, we rise with him from death. And so he's like a rescue agent who goes in, grabs the people, isn't it? And then brings along with them. The resurrection, you see, of Christ has broken the back of sin to the full. That's the point. Not merely paid the price for sin, but broken his back. It's penalty paid and power broken. You see, if Christ was not able to rise from death, then it would mean that he was a slave of death, a fellow hostage. But God the Father has raised Christ from death. The greatest news ever proclaimed by men and angels is this. Christ is risen. Since penalty is fully paid, since power is fully defeated. That's the greatest news. The resurrection of Jesus proves that all who truly trust in Jesus have been freed from the penalty and power of sin, totally redeemed by the blood of Christ. Are you trusting in Christ this evening? Are you a born-again Christian? Well, the good news is that when you died, when Christ died, you died with him. And when Christ rose, you rose with him. That's why you are a born-again Christian. His resurrection is what has made you born again. And of course, the Holy Spirit effects that through regeneration. This truth should then comfort you, shouldn't it? 
that the resurrection of Christ is your redemption should comfort you. Because if you're in Christ, the grip of sin over your life has been forever broken. You are now a new creation in Christ. There's no Christian now who can say, oh, I'm just like that. I've always been like that. I've always struggled with this problem. Whatever it is, is it drinking? Is it, is it, is it, is it anger issues? Is it unforgiveness? There's no Christians who can, who can genuinely look God in the face and say, I am... I've always been like that and I'm always going to be like that. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You're a new creation in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus has freed you or ransomed you from your past life of sin. Literally, think of yourself as a prisoner. Sin is the prison clothes you used to wear. When Christ came, he not only took you from prison, he changed the clothes. He dressed you now in his righteousness. More than that, in his new nature. And so God can now say through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Masterpiece. Handiwork. You are now God's new billboard of grace. You are now God's Glorious display of his creative power in Jesus. You are now precious to God if you're in Christ. God looks at you in Christ and says, Wow! 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 What a great masterpiece I have created. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Now you may not say, you may say, Chola, I don't feel new. I don't feel wow. What are you talking about? I don't feel wow. And of course, Satan may whisper to you and says, you know, when you sin, Satan will come to you and says, you know, you're still the old you, you know. You're still the old you, I told you. You haven't changed. He said to you, are you sure you are risen with Christ? Well, when he says that to you, remember the truth of Easter. And I would say, remember what the hymn writer says. When Satan tempts me to despair, and he tells me all the guilt within, and he will. Upward, upward I look. And see him there on Good Friday, who made an end of all my sin on Good Friday. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on who? On him. Only him, not me, only him, and then pardon me. And of course, he goes on to say, one with, his, with himself, I cannot die, my soul is purchased, ransomed by his blood, and my life is hidden with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. The point is the resurrection of Christ is your redemption, and you are not just risen, the hymn writer is hinting there, you are now glorified. He hidden with Christ. Honor, you are glorified with Christ. And that's the final truth I just want to touch on. The final truth here is that the glorification of Christ. First truth, the death of Christ is our redemption. Second truth, the resurrection of Christ is our redemption. The final truth, the glorification of Christ is our redemption. It's not just the death and resurrection of Christ that redeems us. It is, the, it is also his glorification. Listen. We probably should spend more time on this. But the whole life of Jesus saves you. 
His incarnation serves you. His sinless life serves you. His death serves you. His, 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 his burial serves you. You need to think about the burial. We skip it over Easter. We should, I, was thinking to, I was thinking yesterday, I think we should go, maybe next time we should meet on a Saturday. <laughs> as well. Because <laughs> we need to think about the burial of Christ. We skip it. The resurrection of Christ serves you. The ascension into heaven serves you. The priesthood of Christ, his session serves you. His prayers serves you. We looked at that in, during Christmas time. You remember that? Well, you won't remember the same. But the point is, we looked at it. Ephesians 2. The praying of Christ saves us in heaven. And his second coming serves us. So the whole life of Christ saves us. And, and when you think about his second coming, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because we say we are being saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Is that triad nature to salvation? Anyway, going back here, we're talking about his glorification. Look at verse 21. Who through him, that is Jesus, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from death, he went into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. That's essentially what Peter is saying. In fact, Peter comes back to this truth, by the way, in chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. Uh, we, we looked at these verses, uh, Brother Paul, you remember, we looked at them as, as part of our baptism uh, discussion. Uh, in First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 to 22, it says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of debt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Uh, we could spend a lot of time on that, but here's the point. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? What's happened with Jesus? Well, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying when Jesus rose from death, <laughs> here's the thing. Our problem is not only sin. There's a devil as well. We haven't dealt with that. And this is the point of this verse, you see. When Christ rose from the grave, right, he defeated death. By his glorification, yes, he disarmed the rulers and authorities on the cross, Colossians 2, verse 15. By his glorification, he's sitting, he's, he's going up now to sit at the right hand of God. Well, it makes all the powers now subject to him. God has exalted our Lord Jesus. God exalted, glorified him above all spiritual powers. He gave him glory. What does he mean he gave him glory? Well, we have to go to chapter 3, verse 21 to 22 to understand. He has gone into heaven. He sat at the glorious right hand of God. Now what's happened there? Where angels, authorities, powers have been subjected to him. Christ our God has triumphed over all. The cosmic powers are now under the rule of Christ. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? We can be here all night. I know you, you've had a long... We're not going to do that because you've, you, you've, it's been a long weekend already. But here's the thing. As God, the powers have always been subject to Christ. Because Christ is God the Son. So what's new here? Well, what is new is that... Remember what I said this morning? Christ is fully God and fully man. The point of these verses speaks to his humanity, you see. Christ has gone up... Into heaven, Peter says. 
He's ascended into heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, he's ascended not only as God, it's really the ascension is him as the God-man. He's ascended as fully man. And he has taken with him into glory all his people in his body. So that we now share in his glorious victory. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6, which we looked at this morning. We are now sat with Christ in the heavenly places, above cosmic powers. And therefore, Paul can remind us and assure us that one day we will judge angels. Why? How does Paul know that? Because we are already ruling and reigning with Christ in the heavenly places. The glorification of Christ is wonderful, isn't it? It's, it's the, the prisoner has been released from jail. The price has been paid, right? New clothes, that's the resurrection, right? But it's more than that. A new house, a new mansion, reigning with the king. That's the Christian's life. Jesus has redeemed us from all our enemies. He not only conquered his enemies on the cross for us, he's glorified in heaven for us, and we share in his glory. You know, you may have seen the, the film Safe House by Denzel. Always watch a good Denzel film. And, uh, uh, and Denzel in Safe House is brilliant, isn't it? As we are watching that, we are told that the CIA has a number of safe houses, right? Or sanctuaries where they keep people safe who are wanted by criminals and terrorists. And it turns out that these safe houses are actually not very safe. Because the basic plot of the movie is that Denzel is a CIA agent, Tobin Frost, who cannot actually be kept safe, despite how many safe houses he's taken to. And so as we watch that movie, what happens in the end is that Denzel has to fight for himself, really, to keep himself safe. And so like most films, it's got a message, and the message is, in life, you must fight for yourself, because no one else will protect you. That's the message of the film. But Peter here is saying, that is not true for all true followers of Jesus. You, are no, you have no Tobin Frost problems, because Christ is now glorified in heaven. The good news of Easter is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now already glory-bound. And nothing can stand in your way because you're already sat with Christ on earth, you see, above cosmic powers. Now, this does not mean our troubles have ended, right? Uh, if you've heard enough messages here, you know that we live in the now and not yet. Right now, we are glorified in Christ. We are sat with him in glory. But we are not seeing the full effects yet of our inheritance. We'll see that when we see Christ face to face. This means that as long as we're in this body, there will be challenges. But we do not face the challenges in this world alone. Our war has already been won. But trouble still remains. There's still some tidying up for us to do. There's still some sanctification for us to do. But the fundamental point is our future is already written. And so when you face these challenges, you can face them now with hope and peace. And that is important for us as believers to think about and, and reflect on. Because we live in a fearful society, don't we? We, we? we fear rumors of war, disease. We fear for our marriages. We fear for our work. We fear for death. We, we fear losing control in our lives. And Christians are not immune from that. As followers of Jesus, we are tempted to give in to these fears. 
But as we come to the end, I just want to leave you with this. That the wonderful news of the resurrection Sunday is very simple. Fear no more. Fear no more. Because our Redeemer has triumphed over sin, has triumphed over death, hell, Satan, and all that can threaten us. No matter what we suffer in this world, the ultimate point is that we are the safest as we can ever be. You know, you, I, I usually say this, you are as safe now as you will be when you get to heaven. Believe that. You are as safe now in God's hands as you will be when you get to heaven. Because there's nothing that happens to you that God doesn't. It's all on God's watch. And so live with assurance. Live with comfort. Final story, then I'll end. Or just final allusion. Do you remember the story some years ago about, this is many years ago, I'm stretching my mind now, about an Australian couple that paid, a very sad story, they paid a Thai surrogate to carry twins. You may remember the story. And what happened was that when the babies arrived, the couple only accepted the healthy baby by rejected a twin brother who had Down syndrome. That was the story. And the case, of course, actually it's happened even in recent times since that story. But at the time, the case sparked international outcries and pleas for help for the surrogate and this rejected baby, right? Now, one thing about what Peter has been teaching us, or what we've been learning over the last two days, what is clear is this. Peter is clear that Christ is not like that Australian couple. Christ has paid a special price to transfer you from the domain of sin into his kingdom. Christ our God does not ask for refunds. He does not reject those he buys. His precious death, his resurrection, his glorification has purchased you forever. And so Easter Sunday, as, we, as I come to an end, for the fifth time of saying that, right? <laughs> He's really saying, God loves you. God loves you so much that he has already crowned you in the glory of his son. And all that remains for you is to bask in this infinite glory. And in whatever situation you are facing, you're likely to face this coming week. Please focus on this big picture. You're no longer trapped in the slavery of your sin. You have been redeemed by the death resurrection and glorification of Christ. What a package God has given us in Christ. Perfect and glorious redemption in Jesus. It's all on him. What a package. Christ is truly our wonderful God. There's none like him. He deserves our worship and adoration.